Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pot on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic on the show this week. Steve Bruce says we did okay in 4-1 defeat at Old Trafford. A club in crisis, football cliches provides the template and we tick all the boxes. And fit to wear the shirt, injury hits our number nine again at the very worst possible time. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne. Welcome aboard uh, the good ship, Pod on the Tyne. Feel free to grab a life vest, you're probably going to need it. Joining me, as always, is the Athletics Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, George Cogan. Plenty of time for us to talk about football in a minute, gents, but did anybody do the run yesterday? George, were you running? Well, I think more accurately, the run did me yesterday. But, um, <laughs> yes. But yes, I did it. It was great to be back. I've... Um, it was different this year, obviously, not ending in Shields uh, and look forward to get getting back to the seaside next year. But yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was um, it's the best day of the year. And there is a there is a, a small football correlation, if you like. I, I do whenever I do the Great North Run and you're surrounded by all these people, you know, it's something in a sporting context that we're, we're the best at in the world. It's the biggest half marathon in the world. Mm. It's the best half marathon in the world. It's a bucket list event. It was the first mass participation event like this to go, to go past a million participants. And, you know, we're the best at it. So why can't we aspire to be the best at other things? Why can't we aspire to be the best at football? Absolutely. Why can't we aspire to be quite good at it? Because we've shown we've got a you know a willing audience. We've got the right. We've got good facilities. We're, you know, it can be done. It needs nurturing. It needs love. It needs investment. It does. And you know, I know that a great run. They're they're always talking about. It's not just about oh we're the best. How great we are. It's all about. How can we stay here? How can we continue being number one? What can we do? You know, how how do we still exist in fifty years' time? And anyway, mm. we can do it. I'm aching all over, but I'm very happy <laughs> to be part of to be part of that. Well, well done, George, and congratulations. How was your time? Was it any good? Uh, it was a lot slower than my best. Um, I did one fifty one. That's all right. I actually. I think I'd actually, still be out there now if I did it. To be honest, <laughs> I would st- <laughs> I, I'm 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 still I'm still nursing an injury that I got when running for the first and only time with Chris when we were doing the football. What was it called, Chris? The football run? Uh, I can't remember. It was my first ever 10K and I managed to break yeah. George on it. So it's a big achievement. Really. I, I, I fell apart running past St. James's Park, which feels feels uh, appropriate. It's very apt, isn't it? My left knee popped out and popped back in again. I, so I, I oh, briefly dear. dislocated it and it's been, it's been very painful. So 10 miles yesterday... I, I felt I felt that again, and um, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of always I always feel of feel I always think of Chris when I'm in pain. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> well, George, I would say as well, it, it it will be great to have the run back, finishing at South Shields again next year because I was down on the seafront in South Shields yesterday afternoon, and it was like a ghost town. Uh, and South Shields needs that to come back. It's it's the first time ever uh, since the run started that it hasn't finished in South Shields. So I, I, we're desperate to get it back next year. The town really needs it. So yeah, it'll be great. The run is where it ends. You you fin- it follows the course of the river. You know mm-hmm. that's the point of it. It's from. It's from the river to the sea, and yep. they've already announced it'll be back there next year, so it should be. But you know, the alternative, the alternative to that this year was not having the run at all. They had to do that because we all know that the transport is 
is chaos at, at the coast. And when they planned it and when they were organising it, they couldn't get insurance in case it got called off, in case we had sort of lockdown restrictions back in place again. And so it was the only way you could do it. It's And it bring, the thing is, it brings in... It brings in tens of millions of pounds to the region. It raises twenty five million quid for charities, and yep. you know we can't afford we can't afford not to have that. But running down to the sea, thinking you've finished, then going through <laughs> that longest mile that in the Mars history bank. in miles. Yeah. Oh god, god! But being roared on by it's amazing Shields people. It's it's absolutely it's it's such a huge part of the run, and I missed I missed looking out to sea yesterday it was very handy being able to walk home afterwards uh, but uh but no it was a one-off it was great to be part of a one-off but it'll be back at shields next year and as it should be lovely stuff chris how are you doing you well um good thank you yes so yeah yesterday i was no going... running for you this weekend no running no running no i was going to go down to, to to the end of it but i ended up having to do uh, a bit of work i helped uh, david on scene with his column so what we decided was that um we we're going to try and see the red arrows going obviously the iconic flying over the the time bridge so mm. um we're currently staying at alice's parents because we're in the process of trying to buy a house and so alice said um, oh yeah, you know, if we go in the back garden, we'll be able to, we'll be able to see them flying over. So rush out, and I'm stood there, and sort of looking up, and then you can just hear them. Obviously, you hear them coming, and I just can't see anything to do with these red. Nothing, nothing at all. The red arrows. Oh, well, we'll catch them when we come back. So then, obviously, wait outside two minutes. Then just hear this noise again. Don't see them at all. To which. We then found out later on, having spoken to our parents, that they come out the back way, which is where we went for the Sunday Air Show. But there are, you've got to be out the other side of the house to see them oh. for the Great North Run. So you've stood and completely missed, which oh. is quite—it's quite an achievement to be able to miss the red arrows flying across. But that's what we did. We heard them, but I did not see them. So something wonderfully hapless about that story. Well, in, in typical Newcastle-nated style, you were well out of position, Chris. That's what happened there. <laughs> quite well done. <laughs> Oh man, anyway, before we get on to the football and all that other nonsense, uh, The Athletic are still offering 33% off new subscriptions to podcast listeners. So get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of this special offer. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Come on, you Maggie's. Manchester United 4, Newcastle United 1. Let's talk football first. Uh, did we, as our manager, and to be fair, a few of the neutral observers seem to be suggesting, did we actually play quite well at Old Trafford, Chris? What do you think? Yes, for certainly for two-thirds of the game, at the very least, I thought Newcastle uh, they certainly played better than I thought they would. Uh, they frustrated Manchester United. They restricted the opportunities in the first half. They let them have a lot of the ball, but Manchester United didn't do very much with it. And on the break, Newcastle offered a threat. And actually, when in the first 15 minutes of the second half, both before and after, Javier Manquillo equalised with a brilliant counter-attacking move. That was Newcastle fantastic. looked like the more likely to score at that point as well. Joe Litton should have scored. Uh, Sam Maximan and Almiron and, and Joe Linton himself, to be fair, on the break were all very effective. But in the end, Newcastle lost 4-1, which is sort of a, a, a similar result to, to what they've had at Old Trafford in recent years. And I, I suppose the issue with the... Because Steve Bruce came out afterwards and said there's a lot, lot of positives to take. And, and to an extent, maybe there was, but... How many times have we heard that in recent weeks? And second of all, if, if you can afford to go to Old Trafford and play reasonably well and lose if you manage to beat Southampton at home, if you manage to get a positive result against West Ham yeah, at home, if you manage to get a positive result against yeah. Aston Villa away. But if you come into to, to this game, the fourth game of the season, without with only one point on the board, you can't afford to lose 4-1 and now conceded 12 goals in, in four matches. That is that is the issue. So as, as positive as, as, as maybe it was just in the isolation of the game, unfortunately, Newcastle can't afford for, for just as positive. Newcastle United need wins now. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we talked about that leaky defence before, haven't we? And, and George, if you're, if you're going to rely on playing counter-attacking football, that, that defence has to be rock solid, doesn't it? Yes, and it hasn't been, and there's been too much chopping and changing, I think. And you can, st- I mean, we've been saying this from the start that it, it looks, it looks very sort of uncomfortable the defence. And you know, you want you ne- you need to have that reassurance throughout it, and because and the, you can sort of see the nervousness rippling through it. And you know, I do feel I do feel a measure of uh, sympathy for Freddie Woodman, the position that he's yeah. in, because he hasn't had. Um, a settled, you know, backline in front of him, 
and you you know you look to your keeper to sort of inspire confidence that's not happening but then he's also kind of getting uh suspect protection as well and yeah it's a big problem i mean i think we you know we can see some sort of differences i mean it's it's you know it's very early days we're only four li- four league games into it but we can see that newcastle are shooting more i mean both both mm-hmm. on and off yeah. target than they than they did uh, at this point last season i mean it's quite noticeably you know quite noticeable that that uptick in terms of possession it's more or less exactly the same as it was this time last season but they're conceding they're conceding way more goals and i mean the, the, those are very kind of basic metrics i'm talking about but something's not something's not working they are they are finding a way of creating more chances which is which is a positive but that's no that's no use if you're if you're conceding in the way that they you know in the way that they are they're just going to lose they're going to carry on losing and so you know you there needs to be some sense of security at the back it's just and it's just it's just not there that's the really that's the really alarming thing for me i mean when you say that george so at the minute newcastle have conceded 12 goals in four games if you if you if you so that's an average of three goals a game yes one of them was against manchester united but the other three it's not like it's not like they've played man city chelsea and liverpool so at the minute newcastle have an average four goals to be able to win a game they scored twice in two games at home and have only taken a point from those two games yeah, yeah that is yeah. that is concerning yeah and this time last season they played west ham like they had done like they have done this season, they played Brighton and Spurs. I suppose you could say that was an equivalent to 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 Manchester United and Burnley. And they've had, yeah, as I say, they've had the same amount of possession. They've scored almost the same amount of goals. It's like five compared to compared to six. But the the fact that you know, so they're not converting their chances into goals, which is one thing that's 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 worrying. And you can't see that getting any better anytime soon with Callum Wilson injured, who we'll come on to talk about. But they are absolutely leaking goals left, right, and centre. And you know, I, I I totally agree with I totally agree with Chris. I mean, from that you know, I listened to the I listened to the match, and I I watched highlights, and I watched sort of extended highlights on NUFC TV. And um, I don't want to use the word encouragement because I think that sort of sends the wrong message. I think I think for you know for for an hour they were in the game and showed great great resilience to kind of come back and you know were able to hit on the counter attack and the goal was really good and so on and so forth my you know the the other kind of real concern is the way it sort of disintegrates when things um do turn and that has been a hallmark so far this season it becomes it becomes messy and last season as well george and, yeah, yeah, and last beca- season as well it becomes messy very quickly and i think that's the that's the you know that's the the, the sort of real concern and by the end of it for all for all that people are saying uh, we did you know we did quite well it's absolutely the score that i think most of us you know i i, I would have said 4-0 or 4-1 or something like that before before kickoff i'm not saying i would've been happy happy with it but that's kind of what what i anticipated and so all those words like something to build on or encouragement or positives to take and uh you know they're irrelevant when you're 19th in the in the table they they really are i mean it's about it's about getting results that's right and, and chris just to, just to touch back on freddie woodman there for for a minute we you mentioned him before um a, a couple of errors in the game you would say and and you know by his own admission he said on instagram that he didn't play very well um it, you have to be careful with him now don't you he needs to be managed well and he needs to have an arm put around him and kind of be guided properly doesn't he do you think he's going to get that from steve bruce well, I, ho- I hope so. I mean, the, we had the issue last year with the goalkeepers, which when the situation wasn't managed correctly, um, and obviously Darlow was uh, jettisoned from the side and he knew beforehand that he was going to be, but he didn't find out from the manager about that. He found out uh, through the media. So hopefully is isn't going to be a similar situation like that. And obviously with Freddie Woodman, still, this was this is still the start of his Premier League career. It was only his fourth start. Um, I hope I hope that that is the case. And I hope that, that, that if he is taken out of the team, then it's explained to him why... I think it's a de- it's a very delicate situation that's into the do because he wanted to go out on loan, um, and if he isn't if he's going to be taken out of the team, just one he's only going to have played one game after the end of the window, and then if he's taken out of the team, then he's going to be sitting on the bench, but basically between now and January, and might even not even be on the bench once Dubravka comes back. Then that's really going to frustrate him further at a point where he wants to be playing regularly. It's circumstances. 
um, conspired against the club and against Bruce for that. And it's not it 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 wasn't the decision that they would necessarily have wanted to take Freddie Woodman to be here. But equally, if he's going to be out of the team after four games, then that that's in in nobody's favour, and particularly if that is his last performance in, in the Premier League for now against Man United. I, there, there were bad mistakes. The first one, obviously, there's a deflect, quite a late deflection off Clark. He should still save it, but he, he's set ready for the for the initial movement. The second one, yes, it goes through his legs, but I still... And he he, he should save it, but I, I, I'm not going to be too critical of, of Freddie Woodman because the fact that those opportunities were presented... And for the first one in particular, the fact that defenders didn't react. I'm not saying they would have stopped the goal from going in, but it's easy to just pick on Freddie Woodman. Neither the defenders who are around react to the situation either. So it's a collective issue. There's a collective reason why Newcastle lost 4-1 at Man United. He's not, as George said, the defenders in front of him keep changing. He had a right uh, a defensive midfielder as a right centre-back this this time. He had a right wing-back who hadn't played all season, suddenly comes in and plays alongside. So it's Hayden and Mankio there. The two of them rarely played together. You could see that for the second goal, lack of understanding between the two of them um, and so it just keeps chopping and changing in front of him and that, that can't help for someone who was his first time he's playing at Old Trafford for Newcastle in the Premier League Looking at the other end of the pitch as well George, um, slightly concerned we, we scored the goal from a, an unlikely source, Javi Manquillo uh, the, the, the counter-attacking was, was really good at times in the game and I think Miguel Almiron probably had his best game of the season so far, but there was a very big Callum Wilson shaped hole in that attack wasn't there George? Yeah it's been, you know, it's one of those problems that we're all familiar with Taylor isn't it um, you know it's been it's been great having Callum Wilson in the side and you know what you're going to get you know that if Newcastle get the ball in the right places that he'll be there to take chances and without him there there just isn't that same incisive attitude there isn't the same instinct to to kind of get to to get into the 6 yard box and you know Newcastle just look a completely different team without him and the, you know the concern is the longer he's out for the more difficult difficult it'll be it was great to see Almiron you know, back playing in that way that we know he can, dragging the team up the pitch. That's so important, but doing it in a way that looked more effective. And yeah, there were moments in the game where Newcastle looked a proper threat on the break. Yeah. But it's all very well being a threat. You've got to you've got to convert that threat. And that, you know, that is 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 a frailty that that they've had for a long time. And when Wilson's not there, they just don't look like the same the, the same team so yeah so again you know you can look for you can look for kind of encouraging signs but it's not much it's not much use if that encouragement isn't converted and it has to be it has to be I mean when you look at where where we are on the table This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So uh, we emerged from 90 minutes uh, at Old Trafford with some credit, uh, even if defeat was inevitable, as predicted. But just when you thought we might be praising Armoron, Mankio uh, and the rest for at least putting up a fight, the headlines were suddenly all about off-the-pitch matters again and another ill-judged outburst from our manager. Uh, the Chronicle's Lee Ryder asked him if there was any truth in the rumours he'd taken a holiday during the international break and how that had affected the team's preparation for the Man United game. And Steve Bruce took exception to that line of questioning. Well, I think I really have to answer that to you, Lee. That's what the fans are asking, aren't they? We trained all week. We're in every day. We were in every day this week where preparation was meticulous, let me tell you. There's nothing more in preparation. What was it supposed to do? We're six of them away. Well, preparation was fine. Absolutely fine. We've been in all week. You could see the game plan of what we, what we worked to. Um, to answer questions like that is typical of a question that I'll get off you and the newspaper, if I'm being brutally honest. That's why they're the way they are. The way you are in your negativity constantly in your newspaper. Well, there we go, Chris. Uh, he doesn't like it, does he? He doesn't like being called out like that. No, it was a bit of a puzzling uh, press conference. I mean, obviously, at the minute, they're over 
zoom bafflingly. It's not that's not just a Newcastle United thing. That's a Premier League wide thing. Despite obviously basically every other restriction in Premier League stadia, there was seventy odd thousand at, at Old Trafford, and yet. Um, yeah, we've got to do the press conference on Zoom, and the Wi-Fi kept cutting and going, uh, coming and going. Sorry, and um, I asked the first question over the over Zoom, which was it was about Newcastle's conceding so many goals, and and if he was alarmed by that, and what what they're actually doing to address it, because he's something he's keep, he's kept talking about. I was then basically the Wi-Fi then kicked me out of the Zoom call. I then came back in to one of my colleagues, Miles Staff. I'd asked about. Uh, the fact that some Newcastle fans had turned on Bruce again during the game that stuck by the the, the the team for most of the game. But then once the third goal went in, there were, there were chants of, um, we want Bruce out and, and various things. There was also a banner held up uh, about that. And Steve Bruce replied with, fair, fair enough to a certain extent, because what can he say to said, What can I say to that? I'm delighted. I can't comment on that. And then the, the, the final question was basically about... Um, this this question that Lee Ryder asked, which was about which a lot of fans have been asking about, is that that's the way that he worded the question. A lot of fans have been asking uh, whether he had Bruce had gone on holiday to Portugal over the international break. There obviously been photos circulating on social media and also preparation for the game. And then Bruce made it both personal and uh, about the local media, but also the, the the final line about that's why they referencing the fans are the way they yeah. are, the way you are, your negativity in your newspaper. The, the insinuation from that being that fans, rather than having made their own mind up, uh, having watched the performances and the transfer window going as it was and, and, and various other things, that basically the only reason that they may be reacting negatively towards the head coach is because of what has been written about him or said about him elsewhere and that is that has riled a lot of supporters understandably it just yeah. was a, it just felt it just felt like a sort of end of days press conference I mean, we said this obviously after <laughs> brighton in, yeah. in, in in march and he, and he's still here but it did feel like it just felt like a, when it get reaches that stage and his relationship with the media basically has broken down ever since newcastle lost to brentford in in the league cup Last December, it really hasn't recovered. It broke almost uh, to an irreparable stage. I think in in January, there was a little bit maybe of thorn of tensions. But since 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 after this, I think I think it's difficult to see how bridges are necessarily going to be built in the short term. More importantly, even so, with fans, given what how they may react on on Friday if Newcastle fall behind against Leeds. This is the thing, though, George, isn't it? It's it seems like every time that he gets some sympathy for being burned by the owner for whatever reason, Steve Bruce he he responds by self-immolating, doesn't he? Well, I mean, the media are an easy target, always have been, and it's sort of you know it's one of the stages that managers kind of always go through. But it's not you know it's it's not Lee Ryder's fault that Newcastle are nineteenth in the table and um, no. and so on and so forth. And I do think that when you're in that kind of position. The optics of going away on holiday do not look great because, you know, what fans want to think or want to see is that everyone's knuckling down, um, trying to trying to put things right. I mean, we know how how stressful this is as a business, and we know that things are difficult. I would never, I would never sort of deny people the opportunity to have time off because it's very very important, and I would always take my you know time off and things like that. But it just doesn't look. It doesn't look great, and I, I don't think it was an unreasonable question to ask by any stretch of the imagination, and I didn't think there was any call for the response like that. I thought that the response was was outrageous, really. And, um, you know, it's sort of it's sort of unnecessary. You know, the idea that, 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 that fans aren't capable of seeing, uh, you know, seeing what performances are like and what results are like for themselves and need the need anybody in the media to interpret it for them is you know is pretty offensive and i would i would i would probably argue that um you know if anything it's been the other way around i mean i would i would i would sort of say that um you know it's been supporters uh leading the criticism and and media media reflecting that and some supporters would argue that the media haven't been haven't been reflecting it enough and so um you know, it kind of comes across as it came across as kind of very irritable and unnecessary. You know, your team, your team's lost. No one expects the manager to be happy about that. No one expects him to be satisfied with that. But what I would prefer to see him do is, is you know, acknowledge. I mean, what can he say about people chanting about him? Well, acknowledging 
you know, acknowledging the lead lead position, acknowledging what a poor start it's been, acknowledging how poor results have been, even if he thinks, you know, Newcastle haven't deserved those results, and you know, promising to 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 turn it round or try and turn it round. That's what I want to hear, as opposed to sort of and saying that, you know, people who pay their money to travel all the way to Old Trafford are one hundred percent within their rights to to say what they want and act as they want, and I would. You know, I'd want him to say that. I don't think it's difficult to say those things. Whether that, you know, whether that will be enough for people is is debatable, of course. But it's perfectly reasonable to to respond to things like that without being antagonistic. And it's, you know, Chris Chris has written an excellent piece uh, which is up on the Athletic at the moment. And it it, you know, this, the the tone of Chris's piece is that it feels like Steve Bruce is fighting battles on all fronts at the moment, and that he's losing all of them. And sort of, you know, I, I, I'm sure he feels like he's under siege, but at the same time, sort of antagonising everybody and everything. He has to own it, though, George, doesn't he? He needs to own it. Yeah, I think so. He yeah. has to. Yeah, yeah. I think we'd actually be a little bit more, um, a little bit more sympathetic towards him if he did own it. You know, I, I, I think batting it away every time and 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 uh, you know turning on the press and stuff like that isn't helping his cause at all. Well, I also think, I mean, the, the the holiday question, there was a lot on social media about it, and it may have even been asked in the pre-match press conference on Friday, but we're still in this situation where I think there was four questions taken from written media on Friday, one of which was about uh, the player who ever, seemed to be the only player playing on Saturday, if, if, if all of the media was <laughs> all of the media was taken into context, um, even though there'd already been pre- plenty of questions before that in the press conference, and so so we're in that situation where it, it was a fair question because even if Steve, Steve Bruce could have come out and defended that as well, he could have said, yeah, well I did, but the, the, also the players had so, some time off that weekend. We were back. He said had train every day in the build up to. Build up the week building up to the the match, which they did, um, albeit some of the the timings were moved around here and there, and it it was a fair question. But did he expect not to be seen on on a on a flight from which was a it was it was like a, an economy style flight for, out to the to the Algarve? It was if as if that wasn't going to be spotted by someone, and then therefore fans share that on social media and it gets talked about. And I think it, I don't see why it wasn't. He, yeah. he could have just answered that to, to then lash out as if it's some sort of agenda against him, or as if as if it wasn't something which there was interest from supporters. And there is interest in supporters. And unfortunately, the optics of it were terrible. He could have that there, there may be an argument, as, as people close to Bruce would say, that that he, he needs a break because he didn't get what he wanted. Julian Asher break. He just needed to switch off for, for a few days. He didn't get what he wanted from the window. Fine, but come out and try and at least make that argument. Don't make it seem as if it's not a relevant question when your team is in the bottom three. You haven't won a game yet. You've been knocked out. Of the league cup things are, are going wrong he said that there was only he said it well six play it in part of his response he talks about six players being away on a national duty yeah but that there was the other 19 in the squad were still around so it's just it doesn't quite that it's there's still that time you could have worked with them so just explain it's it's about i mean george and i have talked about this so much on the podcast it's about language it's about mm. dealing with things and again he's, he's the only person who's having to answer questions and on friday in his pre-match press conference he was asked a lot about the window and he actually towed a line which I didn't think he would be able to, which was not... He didn't come out and, and make out as if he didn't want additions. He, he made it clear he had wanted further additions without actually calling out those above him. And clearly, fans weren't... Partic- or a lot of fans weren't particularly happy with what he said. But actually, he, to, for for him politically, he probably he probably handled that quite well internally because um, he, he still got his position across without really calling out those above him. But he was already irked during that press conference. It was a bit spiky at points in that. And then this was, as I explained in the piece that George mentioned, it basically felt like this, this rant almost as it, as it came out of was the, the 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 pressure valve unleashing after that's it just so long of everything building up after the window and 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 the statement and then Friday and and, and whatnot and so yeah it was just it was just bizarre. Can I just be clear as well, Chris, and state for the record that uh, the reason I'm pissed off with Newcastle United is nothing to do with anything that's ever been printed in the Chronicle. Uh, I just want to state that for the record to make sure that everyone's completely clear on that. Uh, Lee Ryder doesn't have that kind of sway over me. Uh, I make all of my own uh, opinions up about the club. And the reason that I'm so pissed off with them at the minute is because we are, we are absolute dog shit and we are letting in goals left, right and centre and we don't win games. Uh, and we've got an owner who doesn't care uh, and a manager who doesn't seem to understand. 
So that's why I'm pissed off. It's nothing to do with the Chronicle. Just to be just to be completely clear, Steve, you need to know that. Okay. Uh, anyway. I think we'll move on here. You mentioned banners, Chris, uh, and the fans in the away end were already agitated at Old Trafford, uh, but there was something very specific spotted in that away end, uh, and it will ring true with listeners to the Athletics Football Clichés podcast. Let's listen to a clip of the latest episode featuring host Adam Hurry and guest Phil Hay. So we, we, we've had players getting annoyed. We've had managers under pressure. We've had, a, we've had an element of hierarchy involvement here. But you know who we've forgotten about so far, Phil? And that's the fans, oh. the most important people in football, except for the other lot and the, and the others. And I have to say, there is no... I think the point of no return in any crisis as a football club is, without doubt, when people start writing on bed sheets. And, and, <laughs> and the more... The, the more squint the writing gets, the more ferocious you can tell that their anger is. And I honestly think once bedsheets start to appear either outside the ground or particularly in the away end, more than the home end, it's always the away end that, that does, you know, really does the damage. There's no way, there's definitely no way back ever. Fantastic. So that's stage nine uh, of a club in crisis, apparently, is bedsheets. So if you want to hear all 13 stages, do check out the latest two episodes of Football Clichés. Uh, it's always great fun, that show. Uh, uh, but it was remarkable coincidence for that coming up this week, uh, and a little bit frightening as well. And it's only September, uh, but are we not a club in crisis, chaps? Uh, the next I'm, I'm, three games are I'm, absolutely huge, aren't they? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I'm so fucking annoyed that I wasn't asked to be on that show because, I mean, if anybody knows about <laughs> clubs in crisis. And also, it's a load of bollocks. I mean, I love I love Phil Hay, but he's, I mean, if 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 things written on bedsheets is, is a sign of the end, well, we've been living, you know, inside Armageddon for the last 14 years because it's not made a jot of difference up here. You and can't buy your bedsheet in Newcastle these days. No, you just kind of get exactly. them. Exactly, they've, all been, used. they've all been used up. We're way beyond that point. We're way beyond that point. I mean, but then again, Newcastle isn't Newcastle isn't logical. So maybe maybe with maybe Newcastle are the exception that proves the rule. I don't know, but yeah, bedsheets, bedsheets. We've had bedsheets galore. It's made no difference whatsoever. None at all. And as I was saying, Chris, the next the next three games are huge, aren't they? And, and Leeds at St James's Park on Friday night is potentially explosive for many many reasons, isn't it? Yeah, and it's. George was obviously there for the Southampton game, and we got a little bit of a hint of of, of fans turning at certain points, but it wasn't it wasn't sort of the it wasn't a Friday night atmosphere as this will be. Obviously, it's going to be a lot of Leeds straight fans out up, on a drink after work. It's a straight huge game for Leeds as yeah. well. To be fair, I mean Leeds haven't started very well, so it's 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 both teams in one sense will be fancying this as a as a if you wanted an opposition at the minute to be able to 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 go into and, and play against and think this could be our first win of the season. You, you would probably pick each other as, as that opposition other than Norwich in terms of who you'd want to play yeah. at the minute because neither Leeds looked all over the place against against Liverpool. They're conceding a lot of goals as well. But Newcastle's record against Leeds last season was, was very poor. They got absolutely hammered uh, at Ellen Road. So Leeds will, will be looking to replicate that. But given everything that's happened in the course of the last few weeks, given that Newcastle fans haven't yet seen a home game since the window closed and, and no further signings uh, have arrived, given that Callum Wilson is, is not going to be playing, given that uh, of what Steve Bush has said over the last few days and the situation w- with him, and also given that there there are there's talk that there may even be some sort of of protests going on. I've seen stuff about whistles and and, and paper airplanes, and who knows what exactly is going to happen. It sounds like it's going to be chaos on and off the field, and it could be really really toxic. I mean, toxic's almost becoming the toxic atmosphere has almost become cliched around Newcastle United. It has, yeah. We're talking about so much, but equally. I think that, that that's because the definition certainly will apply this Friday if Newcastle don't start well. Hopefully they'll start well and it won't need to turn that situation. But if they concede and concede early, then I do worry about what may happen afterwards. One thing I would just say about that is that, I mean, I have all those same feelings and I'm building up in my own head as well. And it feels like it's all there. Um and you know we we know the way Leeds play or can play when they're when they're doing well, and it's sort of you know they're absolutely ferocious, and you know if Newcastle crumble, etc., etc., etc. But I've always thought about St James's that sometimes it's those moments when you expect the crowd to do something that it doesn't happen, and I I sometimes think it's almost like a it's almost a sense of not wanting 
to do the big meltdown when everybody's watching and expecting it that there's like that there's a reaction to the reaction you know and whether it's because well we're on television and you know we don't want to be kind of falling apart in front of everybody whether it's the fact that you know Leeds will you know guarantee a good good atmosphere in the away end and I mean hopefully not inside the home fans as well but I fear I'm a bit fearful about that too because uh, of ticket sales and so on and so forth you know I I do sort of wonder whether there's almost that collective decision that protest can wait another day but I'm just I'm only saying that because because I think it's happened in the past sometimes and then and then it's and then it's the occasion when you don't expect it that suddenly it it kind of ignites like that but from from here at the time of you know at the time of recording I you know it feels to me like we're building to something and it's all set up to be a you know really really ferocious really ferocious atmosphere then again Newcastle scored in the fifth minute and going from you know, you, you just don't know what's you don't know what's going to happen well do you? let's but, hope that is okay I mean that's feels what like we all want and that's why yeah 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 but that, that that's where I sort of to, that's what frustrated me about some of the stuff that sort of uh, maybe emanates from the, from the club and I understand and and from Bruce to a certain extent I understand why the club feels I know that they feel that, that everything's negative out there about them and that's because most things that they do uh, is stupid or, or it's been, it's been <laughs> incorrect in my view so therefore I think that, that it's warranted oh, but equally equally even if they think it goes beyond it what what I do take exception to is this idea that we would not want the club to win matches. It's the club that we are all invested in mm, so much. God, no. Supporters no. want it. We, we desperate. If Newcastle were to win four 0 on Friday night, then that would be absolutely superb. That's what we. That's what every single that's person want, who has yeah. an association with the club wants. There's no. There, nobody is, is is going to to bat an eyelid and suddenly think, oh no, it's terrible that they've they've gone and won that game. That that's what we want to see, but. It's just that the, the reason that we keep highlighting all these issues is because that they are issues and they're long sta- a lot of them are long-standing issues, a lot of them are recent issues, and that we want to see the club improve. We want to see it get better, and that is why we are... I would, I would, I would say a critical friend, but I don't think we're necessarily friends. I don't think that. I, I think I think that's sure it's quite as amicable as that. But that's what I like to believe that that the local media should be that there should be a sort of critical friend in terms of they want the club to do well, but equally they're also, they're there to ha- they hold them to account. And that's what I like to think that the local media has done in in recent months and years, and that, and that's why I thought that that the Bruce's outburst was so uncalled for. A successful club has successful relationships within it and you can sort of always you can um you can narrow those down to you know the individual parts with you know the hierarchy the management the players the fans and it feels like there's very little connection between any of those parts of the club at the moment so in other words you know when the team are doing well the managers happy fans are happy the hierarchy are happy everyone's working together you know this you can make the same kind of points during those moments whether it's transfer windows and all that kind of stuff the things that we've sort of seen in the last couple of weeks is a schism uh i mean it's either well established or or developing further so we've seen that kind of you know the schism between uh steve bruce and the club and certainly in terms of i mean they might dispute that but in terms of uh transfers and you know we saw this you know that remarkable statement not signed but in which you know it feels like steve bruce is being uh slapped down a bit and you know even even after the match even after the match on saturday people saying um you know talking about players trying to swap shirts with a footballer who I won't mention by name and and so on and so forth and Voldemort it's just really it's kind of really damaging that so it's like everybody is has kind of withdrawn to their to their own corner and are sniping at each other and that is a that is a equation that only ends in in one way and um, you know it's it's I'm sure it's too late for Steve Bruce to sort of to mend his relationship with fans, but at the same time, the one thing that has kept Newcastle kind of going in the past—I mean, I'm not not in a way that's been <laughs> glorious or anything—but when when Alan Pardew, for example, lost the crowd, and he did lose the crowd, he lost the crowd in a in a in a in a manner that you knew couldn't be repaired long term. I mean, he. 
he turned results to his credit results turned and he kind of went back to basics and and managed to kind of get results and Newcastle were actually in a kind of decent position by the time he left of his own accord but he left of his own accord because the relationship had gone and you knew that once Newcastle lost two games in a row that it would go you know that it would it would explode again and um you can't you know you can't rebuild that relationship i don't think i mean you know not unless you you suddenly go on a kind of anyway i mean it's not going to happen it's pointless talking about that but the damaging thing is if he doesn't have that internal support either or that internal support has weakened then you know you're looking at this sort of club of just completely disparate parts either stuck with each other um and and sort of muddling through and as i say it only ends it only un, only ends in one place that Let's move on briefly here. With regards to injuries uh, and fitness, we talked about Callum Wilson earlier, Chris, and how much we missed him at Old Trafford. But what's really worrying to a lot of fans is that he may now be out for a month, maybe even six weeks, uh, as reported by you. What's the the latest line on that, Chris? Well, this was a bit which I contributed to in David Ornstein's uh, column on The Athletic. He does a weekly uh, Monday column, which also always has some very interesting stuff. There's something in there about... Uh, sort of COVID companions, I'm going to call them as well, which may sort of solve the Miguel Almiron uh, controversy with uh, all the other South American players who only just were able to play at the weekend, having uh, not travelled to red list countries. Um, but it looks like that they're trying to find any route to be able to keep them uh, for, for either stop them from playing in the next international break or to make sure that they will be uh, able to travel and then play for the, their clubs without quarantine. But anyway, on, on Wilson itself, so both uh, David Ornstein and I checked this out separately and the understanding is that Wilson, when he first suffered this injury, or at least when at post-Southampton, because I think he tweaked it um, already, uh, post-Southampton, obviously he scored against uh, Southampton and in that was after he'd already t- tweaked the, ham- the thigh sorry, during the first half, continued, I think he came up after about 69 minutes, and there has been no timescale given by Newcastle United. Steve Bruce didn't want to put a timescale on it on uh, on Friday, but I understand is that it was sort of a six-week diagnosis from, from when it happened. It was, it was the initial prognosis, so that would take him through to the middle of the next at national break, which would suggest... That I mean, he's not going to be available for Leeds. I would suggest he's not going to be available for the back-to-back away games at Watford and Wolves either, which means that Newcastle are going to have to try and navigate the next few weeks probably without their top goal scorer from last season, and someone's already scored two goals for them this season, and that is a, a real concern given that uh, Steve Bruce doesn't seem to trust Dwight Gale as his, as his first choice centre forward. He's also played Alan Saint Maximan. Uh, in that position, and it worked to us. I mean, it worked to a certain extent with the game plan at Man United on Saturday, but whether it would work long term, not necessarily sure. And then Joe Linton, obviously, I mean, when he played on, on Saturday, he was actually more of a left winger coming inside. It was a 5 4 1. I mean, he did come inside at points, but he's, Steve Bruce himself has said he's, he's not a centre forward. And already, I think, we're seeing uh, the lack of options up front. It was a bit, Steve Bruce was asked about this during pre season, and interestingly, Given all his frustration with the window, one thing he wasn't actually looking for necessarily was a forward. He wasn't pushing for a forward. What he wanted was a a centre-back and a a midfielder. I'm sure if he'd had unlimited funds and the ability to change the squad, he would have wanted further forward. But that wasn't what he was prioritising. He was prioritising the positions. But we're already seeing how threadbare Newcastle's squad is in certain places, despite being a full 25-man squad. The thing that frustrates me, Chris, about this is that you've got... uh... Well, I mean, he's is he a proven goal scorer? He's not. He's a goal scorer. You've got a striker sitting on the bench there, Dwight Gale, who knows where the goal is. He scored goals in pre-season. He, he knows how to put the ball in the net if you get the ball to him. And with us playing in this style, the way we're playing with the counter-attack and flashing balls across the area and stuff like that, I just feel like he it, we, we should have a striker there between the posts like we were talking about earlier on. 
And does Steve Bruce not trust Dwight Gale to do a job for him at the minute, or or is there something else going on there? Is the reason why he's not playing? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to to trust him. I mean, we've had this over the last sort of two years, really, where he's kept on saying, "I tried to sign Dwight Gale." I think the number of times has changed during different press conferences, but he said anyway <laughs> that he's tried to sign him on various different occasions previously. He talks about him scoring. I mean, in, in pre-season against in, against Norwich, he scored two very good goals. He did, uh, and yet. He hasn't been the one who's been turned to. When Wilson has come off during the early matches, he has brought Joel Linton on as a centre-forward, even though he said he isn't a centre-forward. We didn't see much of Dwight Gale, certainly even starting capacity throughout the last, end of last season. Yes, he only scored one goal last season, and I don't think he, I don't think he scored, I think it's about 19 appearances now, but equally, he's not, it's not like he's starting week in, week out, and you can really give him a run in that front. But he was given a three-year contract by the club, whether that was Steve Bruce's decision, I am a question whether he was the one who certainly pushed for that. Um, I think that part of the squad. I'm not. This is more of a general point rather than just about Dwight Gale. I think if Bruce had, had been given the opportunity to, he probably would have refreshed certain areas of the squad where contracts have been handed out for players, and he would have rather brought in younger and uh, alternative options there, ones who he'd signed. But that that hasn't happened. This is the squad that he now has to deal with, and we not only is it is is. Callum Wilson, unlikely, well, highly unlikely to play against Leeds. We, we don't expect him to play against Leeds. There were also there were three injuries from the weekend. So Javier Manquillo went off w- w- with a knock. So did Kieran Clark. So did Joe Willock. We don't know the extent of those problems, and particularly Willock, who was the only player Newcastle signed in the summer. Obviously, he was already here the second half of last season. But if they don't have Joe Willock, don't expect John Joe Shelvick to be back either. So therefore, you're already looking uh, very, very light in midfield as well. And so. Uh, it, We've got to just hope that those injuries aren't serious and those players are available for Friday as well. I don't need to add too much to that, except to say that, you know, doesn't this also highlight the sort of dysfunction that there is at the club? That, you know, Dwight Gale's not played a minute in the Premier League this season. So, and, you know, at a time when Newcastle are crying out for somebody to get them back into games, you know, get them back into a game or to win them a game or uh, to recover, that, you know, the one goal scorer that they have, once you take. Um, once you take Wilson out of it, isn't getting a look in, and yet he's contracted to the club until 2024. I mean, it, you know, I think we all understand the, you know, the the context around the club and and lack of money and stuff like that. But it's just, it just strike. It's just, it's just. It's just unbelievable, really, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. It is very believable. It's, it's well and it's, it's absolutely just believable, George. It's just annoying. <laughs> It's expected, though, isn't it? Uh, anyway, time for one question quickly from the uh, the the floor before we adjourn for another week. Uh, this is coming in from the uh, the real time feed on the Athletic app. Corey H has asked, "What is the point in having a third choice goalkeeper if, in the event that goalkeeper one and two go down, you choose to play someone who you would have otherwise sent out on loan?" Chris, what do we think? Well, I sort of touched upon this in another piece of the Athletic about the Newcastle's confirmed 25-man squad, which has four goalkeepers in it, which Steve Bruce described it would have been unprecedented the other week, and actually it's not because Liverpool have four goalkeepers this year. And uh, Chelsea did name Petr Cech as a fourth goalkeeper last year, even though he was retired. But the difference in the situations in, was that Liverpool and Chelsea had some uh, quite a few players under the age of 21 who were basically first team regulars and so they didn't need to name 25 senior players above above that age and so I had the luxury of being I mean Petr Cech wasn't even receiving a, a playing salary he was receiving a salary for his, his technical director or something at Chelsea I don't know exact rule but at Newcastle it affected transfer business this summer it prevented Steve Bruce needed to create extra room in the squad to be able to accommodate four goalkeepers, and that's part of the reason why they didn't have any room to bring anyone else in. But as we already touched upon with Freddie Woodman earlier, if Woodman gets dropped either this week or in the next couple of weeks, then he's going to be basically sat on the bench or even out of the squad once Dubravka returns between between now and January. So he's not going to play. He's going to get frustrated by that. If Darlow was so close to a return, then why wasn't one of the... Why, wasn't Woodman able to go out on loan, but and, and it, but it also says a lot about Mark Gillespie. I mentioned this in the piece, and this is Mark Gillespie was brought in a free transfer during the summer of, of 2020, and he's a third choice goalkeeper. There was a situation last year, I think it was against Man United, where Darlow was injured and was basically limping around for parts of the game, and Bruce did not bring on Mark Gillespie. Uh, he didn't play him in any of the games towards the end of last season, the ones where Newcastle were already safe and they were never going to go down. 
he's he hasn't yet turned to his third choice goalkeeper and at the moment his third his third choice goalkeeper is technically fourth choice goalkeeper just Dubravka's injured and it just makes you wonder what why did we as, sign as, him as, as Corey says yeah what is the point in a third choice goalkeeper if you're not going to trust him in that situation because what could have happened is if Darlow is going to be back in the next week or two or, or short term as it seems that he is then you could have had Gillespie potentially playing, and then you've got uh, during preseason Dan Langley played the first few games of preseason because there's no other goalkeepers. So in theory, you do have goalkeepers there, but it says I think it says quite a lot about the trust that that, that Steve Bruce has in those. And it, 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 it's a very valid question from Corey, and it almost feels like what's the point of having him in the squad if you, if you really don't trust him in those situations? Absolutely. Well, uh, let's finish up uh, for the uh, for the day, lads. Uh, reasons to be cheerful? Do we have any at the moment? <laughs> Let's give it a go. Um, reasons <laughs> to be cheerful. Um, well, unfortunately, he's uh, he may be injured for Friday, but but if he isn't, then Javier Manquil, I think, is a is a reason to be cheerful. I thought that he looked very good. I thought it's a bit strange he's been overlooked the, fir- the first part of this season anyway, as much yeah. as much as Jacob Murphy has brought for in an attacking sense. I know that that, he, that Manquil missed a large part of pre-season, but equally, I just think he's Newcastle. I think he's been very consistent after having arrived as a bit of a joke figure at Newcastle. I think in the in the in the sort of last six to twelve months of, of Rafa Benitez's time at the club, and then to be fair, through, through quite a bit of, of Steve Bruce's time, whenever he's played, he's probably been one of the more consistent performers, and I thought he did well. He took his goal excellently, uh, and and so if they're not going to have Callum Wilson, it would be help, it would be helpful to have someone who can finish like that. So I'm going to go for Javi Manquillo, <laughs> which goal, seems like a bit of a stretch. I'll give you a scene as he he's a right wing back who might not even play on Friday, but that is my offering. 95 yards he ran to get on the end of that ball. A lung busting run. George, how about you? Anything? Um. Demba Bars just announced his retirement on Twitter, George. Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, I can't. That's not, it's not a reason to be cheerful, cheerful, is it? But we've no. got some good memories of that man, though, haven't we? Well, we didn't. We Well, I mean, to just to echo what you said um, earlier, we have got through the entire podcast without mentioning Ronaldo. Oh, fuck. Oh. God! Fuck's sake. <sighs> Sorry. What a silly sausage you are. Uh, well, from my point of view, it's not a reason to be cheerful, but I must say uh, a big get well soon to my little boy Jackson, who unfortunately had a little bit of an accident while playing for his team, Jarrow Falcons, on Saturday morning at Farringdon in Sunland. He ran headfirst into the metal perimeter fence and cut his head open and ended up in a and for a couple of hours on uh, Saturday morning, bless him. Uh, they've glued it all back together, his head that is, and he's completely fine, he's getting better, uh, but I have to say he was such a brave lad, not a t- not a single tear was shed. George, if that was you, you would still be crying now. He wasn't pretending to be Miguel Almiron, was he? <laughs> he chased down a lost cause. That's exactly what he was doing. He chased after the ball, That's tried him. to keep it in, lost his foot and went headfirst into the fence. Uh, but he did get a, a lovely little message uh, off his hero, Mr. Alan Shearer, to say, get well soon. I hope he's okay. So that was really nice. Uh, so get well soon, Jackson. I hope you're all right, mate. Anyway, right. That's it. Uh, We'll be back next week and we'll brighten your digital doorsteps once again with tales of merriment and mirth from Newcastle United (laughs) FC. That's the one thing we won't be doing, but yeah. Not merriment, definitely not. Tune in anyway, but yeah, I'm sorry, but again, training standards and all that. I mean, we have to be a little bit accurate. We do, you're right. Anyway, cheers, Chris. Thanks a lot. Thanks, George. Uh, And thanks, everyone at home, for sticking with us through it all. Take care of yourselves. We'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.